Hi, everyone. Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and he has a word for you today. We are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Ministries, what's up? What's up? How you doing? I'm here on location at your location. <laughs> Wherever you are, that's where I'm coming to. So I want you to know that I am extremely excited about the word today, and I can't wait to deliver it to you. If you don't mind, let's go ahead and pray and get started. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you that we never take it for granted this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. God, I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person and that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use. They can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You know, if you have your Bibles, we're going to do our Bible confession. So lift up your Bibles. It doesn't matter the form they take, electronic or hard copy, and say this confession with me. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse in my Bible is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out and to the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God. And it shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Family, family, family. Don't worry. Stay ready. As we begin to walk into this series, as we begin to step into this series, I'm going to step into this series with a discussion of three words. Now, those words are worry, hope, and trust. I feel it important that I share with you my views on those words because those views that I have, those views are going to shape our tone or our, our mood that we're going to have as you and I go through these series. We begin, we begin with the first word, and that word is worry. Please put that word on the screen for me. Worry. W-O-R-R-Y. That word, family, depending on the Bible version that you're using, that word shows up in various counts in the Bible. Eight times, nine times, 20 times, 60 times, whatever it is, depending on the Bible version that you're using, it'll come up in various counts. In the New Testament, Jesus actually uses the word worry a few times, but many times when he's using that, He's using it to tell his disciples not to worry about the details of life because God knows that you have need of those things. I want us to take a look at how Luke writes one of these times that Jesus uses the word worry. I'm in the voice version of the Bible. 
Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 25. Jesus says, which one of you can add a single hour to your life or 18 inches to your height by worrying really hard? If worry can't change anything, why do you do it so much? Jesus is direct and to the point there. The view we draw out of that, though, the view I want you to draw out of that is that the seedbed of worry is the mind. One looks at a situation or a circumstance, concludes that that situation or circumstance is bad news and begins to build anxiety. Of course, that anxiety, it starts first as a smoldering puff of concern in the mind, but it doesn't stay in the noggin. Disturbingly, that anxiety begins to reach out and, hey, it affects the whole person. It affects and almost oppresses them. It oppresses them mentally. It oppresses them emotionally. It oppresses them spiritually. And I don't have to tell you that worry can oppress us physically. Family, worry is bad, bad stuff. And Jesus suggests that worry originates from one's thoughts and that the person, not the situation, not the circumstance, not the problem, not the issue, but the person is the determining factor as to whether or not that worry continues to dominate their existence. Worry. I want you to look at this. If you were to do a word search on worry, what you would find is that many people that would give you a definition of worry, those definitions that they would give you would align very well with Jesus's suggestion that, hey, the seedbed of worry is in the mind. Here are two definitions that I was able to find. I looked at many, but here are two definitions that I was able to find that I'm gonna share with you. Here's one. Worry is to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or trouble. The key word there, family, is mind. Your mind's worrying about just dwelling on difficulties. Your mind is dwelling on troubles. Your mind, your mind. The seedbed of worry is the mind. Here's the second definition. Worry is to feel or show fear and concern because you think that something bad has happened or could happen. The key word there is think. You're thinking of what could happen. You're thinking of what already happened. It's festering in your mind. Listen, the seedbed of worry is the mind. That's what Jesus suggests, and that's what these definitions align with. They're agreeing just with what Jesus is saying. I looked at so many definitions. I actually created one of my own. Want to hear? <laughs> Here we go. Worry 
is a feeling of distress that influences a person's overall responses to life when his or her mind convinces them that something precious or important will be lost, destroyed, or fail. Yeah, worry. One definition says worry is allowing your mind pretty much to just run wild on some difficulties or troubles that you're having. Another definition says worry is when you just think on over and over and over about something that could happen or that has happened. The definition I just threw out at you just says when your mind is convincing you that something that is precious or important will be lost or destroyed or lost, worry is the feeling that bubbles up. Hmm. By the way, worry. This thing right here. I don't want to give you the impression that worry is just linked to some, you know, imaginary thought. No. Worry can be based on some very real things. It's not just based on something imaginary. But the bottom line is this. Worry is a feeling of possible or impending doom. At its most fundamental level, worry, family, is a feeling. Now, what about hope? Put that next word up for me. Hope. What about that word? For our discussion on hope, I'm going to ask you to turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture in Hebrews 11. We're going to be reading this out of the King James Version. You've heard it before. Hebrews 11, verse 1. We're going to read that beginning part. It says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's verse 1. You've read that before. The thing that drew me to that verse is that I really like the phraseology. I like the way the author put in the words of things hoped for. Because that highlights immediately, it immediately points us to the fact that hope is a belief or a desire that points towards something or an end result. Hope. Hope points towards something. Hope points towards an end result. Check this out. I'm going to ask, put that word hope back up there for me. Put that word in your mind. Hope. Because the fact that hope points towards something or an end result, that is what makes that word fit in so well with sentences like, I hope I receive a new car for my birthday. Hope is pointing towards something, 
in that case, a car. Hope is pointing towards an end result. In that case, receiving a car. The fact that hope points towards something or an end result, it makes that word so useful. It fits in so well in sentences like, I hope I get a promotion on my job. Hope is pointing to something, a promotion. Hope is pointing towards an end result, getting a promotion. Hey, I hope I have a good day today. Their family, hope is pointing towards something, a good day. Hope is pointing towards an end result, <laughs> having a good day. What about this one? I hope you find what you're searching for. Still, hope is pointing towards something, whatever it is you're searching for. Hope is still pointing towards an end result. Finding whatever it is you're searching for. Family, hope points towards something. Hope points towards an end result. Hey, hope points towards a what? Now I need to tell you that the word hope in and of itself, without context, that word is, is neither positive nor negative. It's neutral. For instance, I can say, I hope you get approved for a new house. Or I can say, I hope your house burned down. You see, it's all in the context. For us, though, when we think of hope, for us, hope is that belief or desire for something positive or a good end result. That's what we mean when we look at or say hope. The end all, end all of it is this. Hope points to a what? And for us, what it's pointing to is something good. Noticeably, given that we've talked about worry and we've talked about hope, we all need to recognize that hope and worry both point to a what? They just point in different directions. Worry looks at the dark side of things. Worry stares at the bad side of things. While hope, well, hope gazes at the bright side. Worry and hope, they're on opposite sides of the spectrum. Another thing you need to recognize, though, is this. Unsatisfied hope can morph into worry. Consider this example. You have something that you want to have accomplished or received by a certain date 
or you have something that you want to have accomplished or received by a certain time in your life. But that thing, whatever it is, is yet to manifest. The longer that hope goes unsatisfied, the more your mind begins to work on you to get you to contemplate, hey, maybe this thing I hope for will never happen. Family, that's that seed of anxiety preparing to morph your hope into worry. Yeah. Both worry and hope point towards a what? Both worry and hope point towards something. And in result, a what? They just point in different directions. Thirdly, we have trust. Please put that on the screen for me. T-R-U-S-T, trust. And for that word, let's look at another familiar passage of scripture in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. King James Version. And we're going to begin in verse 5. We're going to read verses 5 and verse 6. The King James Version says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Thy paths, plural. From verse 5, the obvious characteristic of trust, it just leaps off the page or leaps out of the scripture. Trust is a confidence in something or someone. Trust. In this proverb, in this proverb, what does it say? Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord. For us as believers, this proverb right here is telling us that we are to put our trust in, we are to trust in God. Not in money, but in God. Not in the government system, but in God. Not in people, but we are to put our trust in God. For clarity. That scripture is not saying that we should never put some confidence in people and such. That's not the message there. The message is that we should trust in God above all other people or things. Our trust in God should be far above anyone or anything else. Now, let's take a look at something. I want you to please put all three of those words up there for me. We've talked about all of them. Worry, hope, and trust. 
We will now take a moment and compare and contrast those three words. Look at the first two. Worry and hope. Now we compare and contrast these things this way. Worry and hope involve an element of uncertainty. Think about that, family. Worry bubbles up when things are uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how you're going to get out of it. Worry bubbles up when things are uncertain. Hope is no different. Hope inherently has uncertainty. Think about it. You're hoping for something, but you don't have it yet. You're desiring something, you don't have it yet. You hope to have had something by a certain time, it's not here yet. Hope inherently has uncertainty. You know, Paul dropped in a nugget about that in the book of Romans. Listen to what Paul said. In Romans chapter 8, verse 24, in the voice version, version of the Bible translation, Paul says, for we have been saved in this hope and for this future. But hope does not involve what we already have or see. For who goes around hoping for what he already has? Come on, Paul. <laughs> you better drop the truth. Who goes around hoping for what you already have? Family, hope and worry both have an element of uncertainty. But our third word, though, trust. If we compare and contrast those two words to trust, we would say this. Worry and hope have elements of uncertainty. Trust is putting those uncertainties in another's control. Trust. What about another compare and contrast? Hope and worry are about the what. Worry is about the what, what's going to happen. Hope is about the what. I want something, but when will that thing be mine? Worry points at a what. Hope points at a what. Both worry and hope are about a what. But our trust. Our trust is about a who. Hope and worry are about the what. Trust is about the who. Generally speaking, worry and hope are about something. Think about it. You worry about or hope for something. But trust, trust is about someone. (laughs) 
To put that in context, we would say this. You worry about and hope for something, but you trust in someone. Or if I were to put that thing short and sweet, I would say this. Worry and hope have a thought. Worry and hope have a thought. But trust has a backer. Worry and hope has a thought, loved ones. The mind. For worry, it just tumbles over and over. Hope. Hope has a thought. Man, I hope to get that thing. And if you're not careful, if that thing doesn't come, it morphs into worry. And there you go again. I worry if I ever going to get that thing. Hope and worry has a thought, have a thought. But trust, trust has a backer. For us, our trust is in God. God is our backer. And having trust in God has nothing to do with us ignoring what's happening to us or ignoring how we're feeling or ignoring what we're going through. It has absolutely positively nothing to do with, get, with that. Trusting in God is having confidence that no matter what we're going through, no matter what's happening to us, no matter how we're feeling, that even though we're going through, God is going to be there to see us through. Trust has a backer. And for us, our backer is God. To make clear what I mean when I say trust has a backer, I want to illustrate something for you. Because when we leave here today, I want that concept of backer to be solidly ingrained in your hearts and in your mind and in your spirit as it relates to our God. What do I mean when I say a backer? I present to you this illustration. You know, insurance companies have some fantastic commercials these days. Advertising agencies, they are collaborating with some very, very creative people. I mean, when you think about what they've been able to put on screen, it's amazing. It's very creative. Here is one such script that you may see. The opening scene. The opening scene is lovely. I mean, the sun is shining. Birds are chirping, and in the frame, 
is a lovely, adorable family of five. I'm talking mama, daddy, three little children, just the cutest little children that you ever want to see, and of course, the family dog. And they have a beautiful vehicle in the, in the driveway. Family of five, so let's call it a minivan. It could also be one of those tricked out, very nice SUVs. Whatever strikes your boat, I'm gonna use minivan, but they have a car in the driveway. Suddenly, something unexpectedly horrible happens to the family vehicle. Horrible. You know, the neighbor next door is having a tree removed. And the people doing the tree removal, they have a slight miscalculation. And instead of the tree falling away from the family car, eh, the tree falls directly on top of the family car, completely demolishing it. Or how about this? The family is on vacation and they're taking a leisurely drive through, you know, an animal park. Almost like one of those drive your own car through this safaris. When an elephant gets loose, an elephant gets loose and comes over to their vehicle and uses the hood of their car to scratch his bum and then guess what? Decides to use the hood of their car as a park bench. He sits on the hood, flattens both of the front tires, and gets up and walks, walks away, leaving the engine a smoky mess. Or oh, hey, here's one. The family decides to take a trip to the lo local grocery store. They all pile out and run inside to get a few items. They exit just in time to see their car being demolished by a psycho driving a monster truck who, for whatever reason, decided to use the family's vehicle as a speed bump. <laughs> what has happened to this family's vehicle is, is undeniable. They could not ignore it if they could. The evidence is just overly obvious. But then in walks the insurance agent. All of a sudden, almost as if out of nowhere, that agent is standing next to that family. And that agent says, don't worry. We got you covered. We have seen a thing or two, so we know a thing or two. <laughs> the agent says, don't worry. Like a good neighbor, I'm here for you. The agent says, don't worry. You're in good hands with us. That agent does not tell that family to ignore the obvious. That agent does not tell that family to ignore their issue. That agent does not tell that family to ignore their problem. No. Instead, that agent stands there and proclaims simply, trust your backer. Trust that your backer will not let you go through this alone. 
Trust that your backer has the resources to handle and deal with whatever comes next. Trust that your backer will be able to restore what you have lost. I know you're worrying right now, but with us on your side, that worry will dissipate. I know you find it hard to hope right now, but with us on your side, hope will rise. Just take your worries and your hopelessness and put all of that stuff in our hands and then just sit back and watch us go to work. And at the end of this process, you are going to be glad that you put your trust in us. That agent, that agent did not step around the situation and try to convince that family to ignore what they're going through. On the contrary, that agent simply said, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, put your confidence in us. In other words, trust your backer. Oh, family for us. That scenario, that script applies to us as it relates to us and our God. As a believer, we should put our trust completely in our God. Trusting in God, family, is not about ignoring the obvious. Hey, life happens. God knows that. God has been dealing with life much, much longer than we have been. God knows that there are ups and downs. He knows that there are peaks and valleys. He knows that there are highs and lows. He knows that some days will feel better than others. God knows all of these things. God knows that life happens. But when God looks at our life, when God looks at everything that we're going through, what God is saying is, hey, don't worry. I got you covered. I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. In fact, I've seen everything. God is saying, don't worry. Like a good neighbor, I'll be there. In fact, I'm better than a neighbor because I've always been there and I always will be. God is saying, don't worry. You're in good hands with me. In fact, there are no better hands than you can be in than mine. Family, God is our backer. Put that on the next one on the screen for me. God is our backer. And what I'm here to tell you today is trust your backer. 
God is your backer. Trust your backer. God is saying, don't worry, I got you covered. God is saying, don't worry, like a good neighbor, I'll be there, but better than your neighbor because I'm never going anywhere. God is saying, don't worry because you're in good hands with me. As a matter of fact, there are no better hands than you can be in. Trust your backer. When Proverbs 3 tell, tells us to trust in God with all of our heart, it is saying that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you see, no matter the hardship, no matter the, hit, the issue, whatever it is, trust that God will not allow you to go through it alone. Trust your back. Trust that God has the resources to deal with whatever it is comes next. Trust your backer. Trust that God will be able to replace whatever it is you lost. Trust your backer. I know that sometimes worry can be, it feels like it's overwhelming, but as long as you trust your backer, that worry will dissipate. I know that sometimes situations, they feel hopeless. But if you trust in God, hope will rise. Take all your worry and all your hopelessness and put those things in God's hands and then just sit back and watch God work. And at the end of it all, you will be glad that you put your trust in him. Family, don't worry. Trust in God. Don't give in to hopelessness. Trust in God. And all of that happens in your life. The ups, the downs, the problems, the issues, the situations, the circumstances. No matter what it is. Trust your backer. Trust your backer. And if you do, when it's all said and done, you're going to be glad you did. Don't worry. Trust your backer. <laughs> we'll pick up with this series next time. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here, and I pray that Everyone here has the heart to receive the word that was delivered. God, we put our trust in you. You are that backer that is always there. You are that backer that can help us recover all. You are that backer that 
we trust in with all of our heart. My prayer is that anyone who's out there that's dealing with worry or hopelessness, that they turn to you. They turn to you, God, and you do what only you can do. Diminish that worry. And yeah, bring forth hope. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're there and you're saying to yourself, you know what? I want to be in the family of God. Some people call it getting saved. Some people call it being born again. I'm going to say you just are ready to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I know that I have come short of being who God wants me to be. But I thank you that the blood that you shed for me on the cross gives me the opportunity to get right with God. I receive your free gift of salvation right now. And God, I thank you for welcoming me into your family. And I look forward to a life of discipleship and learning more of you. Amen. If you said that prayer, reach out to us. Let us know. We want to celebrate to you that with you that you are now in the family of God. It is now time for offering. Time for us to sow our seed, time for us to give tithes and offerings and financial gifts. Today, what I've elected to do is simply have a few words with you about offering. You know, in Proverbs, we read that the Bible says that we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And, you know, trusting in God is trusting in God in every aspect of our life, with our health, our families our careers, and, of course, our finances. And part of sowing our seed is that we sow it in trust that, God, this seed is going to help expand the gospel around the world and touch lives locally as well. So the seed that you and I sow, hey, we put that forth as an element of trust also. That we are investing in something worthwhile because when Jesus touches a life, that life is made better forever. Hey, let's get ready to sow that seed. As we sow that seed, you know what we're going to do? We're going to say our confession together. Our offering confession, say this with me. God, we lift up our voices and praise you with the fruit of our lips. You have given us seed to sow, and for that we praise you. My giving flows from a willing heart, not a religious duty. The more I sow in obedience to you, the more seed you place in my hand, and for that I give you praise. You bless the resources I invest, and spring forth an abundant harvest from my obedience. And for that, I give you praise. Thank you for giving me seed to sow. 
and I now place my seed in your more than capable hands. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Did you guys notice that I said, and for that I give you praise twice? Eh, you, read it. you read it on the screen. You know what it's supposed to say. The bottom line, God, is we praise you, and we always will. Don't worry, stay ready. We're coming back to you next time with part two, at least of what God has given me to share with you during this series. I really hope and pray that you come back and join us. Remember, love on those family members, hug those kiddos, and stay safe until I see you again. God bless. Adios. See you later. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.